Hello and welcome to the last second row podcast of the season. My name is Park Kelly over in Scotland. I'm joined from our normal recording studio by Ocean Collins. Hello Park. Last day of the season. I'm getting a bit emotional here. Yeah, we're going to be all giddy now, like proper last day of school uh, antics going on. You're in the wrong country. You can't sign my shirt. And who brought the penny sweets? Don't forget everyone, the second row podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, all good podcasting apps. So to make sure you can get us after summer break, please subscribe to the podcast and while you're there please rate like and leave a note all those things that help the podcast grow they're really really important this week we are talking the one game in town the pro 14 final before we do some news from the rugby world this week and the first of them is that the godfather of irish rugby david nusifora has had his contract extended for another three years to the end of 2021-22 season i think david nusifora has been the marmite of irish rugby over the last couple of years um <laughs> You either love him or you hate him. I think that's fair, given what's happened in the past and you know people's loyalties to players. But overall, look at what's happened in Irish rugby. Look at the depth the Irish team have had. His goal was to make sure Irish rugby and the Irish men's team were playing at their best and giving Joe Schmidt the tools for that. And I think he has done that. He's just angered fans along the way. Yeah, he's not in that job to make friends. He's there to get us to an elite professional level and look at the Irish world rankings, look at the performance of the teams, both at a provincial and at a national level. And it's hard to view his reign as anything other than successful. It'd be interesting to see where the game kicks on with a new coaching team in place for the Irish side as well. Makes sense to have a degree of consistency to give Andy Farrell that kind of background and environment. It's incredible to think that his job is to take all the flack that the head coach doesn't want to get. Yeah, and in the interviews that he did this week, he's come out and confirmed, look, the very minimum we should be targeting in the World Cup is a semi-final place. Good to know that that target is clear, and it's in the players' minds as well. And even if form has taken a bit of a dip this season compared to the heights of last year, that still has to be the target for the World Cup for sure. I don't think that's been any secret, though. It's was in the RFU plan they released a couple of years ago of where they want the game to go, and they have to start at this World Cup. There's no point waiting for another four years' time. That semi-final is key to progressing the Irish national team and just seeing how far this group of players and how far the setup can go. Speaking of the next World Cup, somebody else had a contract extension this week until 2023. Pat Lamb with the Bristol Bears has been extended and is actually moving into more of a director of rugby role, I believe. Is that just a change of title or is that an actual change of job? Who knows, given how some teams rate their director of rugby head coach roles but that's a great signal for Bristol. It's mad to see a rugby coach given that type of contract. I believe the Welsh coaching setup are on four-year deals as well, even if there is a two-year break clause in the middle of that if either side wants to cancel the deal. Have they not learned from Ireland? That's a bad thing. It might mean that there's additional coaching capacity coming in under Pat Lamb. If he's going up, then maybe one of his assistants will become the head coach and the merry-go-round continues to turn. John Muldoon. John Muldoon. Yeah, maybe not. But speaking of Irish men doing a job in the UK, at the London Men's Sevens this weekend, the Irish team, as an invitational again, remember they're not part of that tour formally until next year, have beaten England in their first game, lost to a very strong all-black side who are probably favourites to win the whole competition, and beat Scotland to get into the cup quarterfinals. That's some achievement. They beat England with a very nervy performance. Then those nerves continued into the New Zealand match who um, didn't quite give them the breaks that England did. 
and they just kind of showed Scotland what they're about. Jordan Conroy, your buddy from the West, was on fire, like hat-trick hero. And to be honest, he needed that performance because he wasn't great in the previous two games. But for all their great work and for everything good they've done, they just earned themselves a quarterfinal shot against Fiji. Yeah, who are the defending champions of the London Sevens. It could be an upset. So obviously, we're recording this on Sunday morning. So by the time the podcast goes out, we'll know how well the Irish guys did. But as of now, it's just uh, hope for the best. Look, this is a great result as an invitational team. Imagine if they're getting quarterfinals in the cup constantly on the Sevens Tour. That would be a brilliant result on the first year. So look, I think these are great promising signs for next season. Hopefully we kick on. And speaking of kicking, you're due a kicking. Your selfie challenge did not go as well as I had expected, Boric. 8 out of 14 isn't bad, but where were all of the Welsh and South African jerseys? Look, 8 out of 14 is a passing grade, and that got me through school. <laughs> well, if anybody wants to help Boric cover up the fact that he couldn't find any Scarlets, Dragons, Cardiff Blues, Southern Kings, Cheetahs or Zebra jerseys, send him your match day selfie from the final and uh, we'll get it up on the Twitter account. We were informed that there were Scarlets fans there on Twitter last night. So they were, that like, that's one of the Welsh teams covered. In the words of the internet, Pixar, it didn't happen. That's very, very true. But look, the weather was abysmal. So to see a jersey took some proper eagle eyes for anyone that wasn't a Glasgow or Leinster fan. Just as well you had a spotter. <laughs> true. And let's get on to the game. So Leinster versus Glasgow in Celtic Park. And Leinster have retained their trophy 18 points to 15 in what was a fairly mucky encounter. It was, but that was such an enjoyable game to watch. The intensity levels from both teams were incredible. Glasgow really looking to play even in that rain. And Leinster trying to do Leinster. Just keep the ball, keep going through phases. And you can't be flashy if we have the ball and it worked it worked but it took a while to kick into gear and if you look at Glasgow particularly their first score they kind of out Leinster Leinster it was that big heavy physical one out carries which really shows they were responding I think to the conditions and to needing to keep their hands on the ball because there was a lot of Leinster just hanging on to possession throughout this game yeah and for that try I was behind the goal so I had a real good view of what numbers were out Glasgow could have got that ball out wide three or four times because they had just numbers up the numbers were spread so well that they could have gotten easier try in the corners but I think given the weather getting something that was easier to kick was a much better idea I feel like it helped them to make a physical statement as well we're not going to be bullied around this is our home pitch at least for the purpose of the weekend and that big very dubious hit on Luke McGrath was kind of part of that as well I was amazed that wasn't a yellow card Really amazed that Showtime Nige didn't give a yellow card for... I, now, this is a weird thing. I didn't hear his explanation, but I checked it afterwards. It's because he thought he had the ball. That, yeah. that, doesn't, ma that doesn't matter. He's, <laughs> he's still... If that's it, then every single player can tackle any single player whenever they wanted. I oh, thought yeah. he had the ball. I thought he had the ball. Moving to the other big kind of disciplinary incident in the game for a second. Listening to the ref mic on the tackle where Rob Carney flew in and hit Stuart Hogg in the air... Nigel went, on first viewing, I think it's a yellow. And I just immediately went, oh, it's a yellow then. <laughs> it's just, it does not matter what anybody says to him. He will find a way to go with his gut call. I personally think he was lucky to get a yellow. He does slightly land on his shoulder before his head smashes into the ground. So by the letter of the law and what 
world rugby have told people to do. That is a yellow. But Carney was a very lucky boy. He was a yellow, not on the basis of any action that Rob Carney took, but on the basis of Stuart Hogg having a little bit of balance and landing on his shoulder and his back before landing on his shoulder and his neck and head. So it, it probably was, but certainly by the letter of the law, the right call. But you just knew from the minute that Nigel said, I think this is a yellow, it, it was nearly irrelevant what the video evidence showed. <laughs> oh, well, look, the second it happened in the, in the stadium, everyone was like, he's gone. Just depends for how long. 100%. I have to say, just on that, the atmosphere in the stadium was electric. Like, there will be comments made about booing and things like that, but for a neutral there, it just added to the atmosphere. It really did. It's not old school rugby, sure, booing through kicks and booing anytime Johnny Sexton touched a ball, but it made for a great atmosphere. Well, I find this hard to stomach because a lot of the excuses are, oh, well, it, it was casual rugby fans. It wasn't really fans. They were just in for the final. But that actually doesn't scan for me. There are grounds in the world, and Glasgow's home games is one of them, where you do regularly hear booing for kicks or booing for certain players. And fine, if that's the brand that you want to create about your team, but it's not one that's particularly appealing to neutral fans. One of the funniest moments in the stadium, um, both teams have their own announcers. So anytime Glasgow did something, it was the Glasgow Stadium announcer who's called it. And anytime Leinster did something, the Leinster Stadium announcer called it. So after Johnny Sexton's first penalty miss, the Leinster Stadium announcer goes, oh, please, remember, please respect the kicker for both teams. You know, the, the typical thing that's trotted out by the stadium announcers. And that got booed. It was just hilarious. Oh, yeah. And, well, going back to the rugby for a second, because there was plenty of it on show, Sexton had a fairly shaky start to the game, missing that penalty and then a really poor clearance kick straight after that. Yeah, it wasn't vintage sex in, in those opening exchanges, but he did grow into the game. He You started to see those standard loop plays. And what kind of took me by surprise, Leinster didn't kick the ball out of play as much. They were kicking to the back three of Glasgow and letting them run, run from deep. I was kind of surprised by it. One or two kicks, you kind of go, okay, that's their missed kicks in this weather. But there was more than that, so it was definitely a tactic. Well, I think Luke McGrath was handed a lot of responsibility in this game, and his box kicking was pretty good. It was a little bit inconsistent, but the chase from Larmour and from James Lowe in particular was all about trying to pin Glasgow back. Leinster decided to win this game on a territory basis, not on a possession basis. Now, they ended up with both for large chunks of the second half, but it was pretty clear to me that they didn't want Glasgow to be anywhere near their end of the pitch. And in all fairness, and even when they were playing rugby in the Glasgow half, sure, in the first half, Ringrose, one of his only poor moments in the game, missed a tackle, and Glasgow streaked up the pitch. It was incredible. That should have been a try. But for some reason, Glasgow weren't doing what they were very good at doing normally, and that's drawing defenders. The amount of times they were, they had just occasions where there was a slight overlap or a chance to make an overlap, they are just passing the ball in front of the defence. I was like come on, they are tries here for you and good gains to be made, but they're just not doing it. It was annoying to watch. Like Conditions play a part in that for sure, but Glasgow just weren't clinical enough. They didn't take their opportunities. And Leinster were guilty of that as well. Into the second half, and Ringrose and Lowe got behind the Glasgow line. I, I don't know how that wasn't a try. Lowe just seemed to pick the wrong line and ran all over Gary Ringrose without giving him the option for the pass whatsoever. And that's surprising for Lowe. He's usually a much better reader of what's going on than that. But like I said, about Glasgow uh, in the first half, just draw a man and pass. It's simple, simple stuff. Rugby's a very simple game. Create space and use it. And both teams, 
didn't create space to use it wisely. Look, the story of this game for Glasgow, they just went to sleep for the middle of it. They were in the game for the first 20 minutes. They were ahead at that stage, although they did concede that block down try to Leinster from a, a, a very sloppy clearance. But then they went 40, 45 minutes without scoring a single point. You have to keep the scoreboard ticking over. You have to keep pressure on a team like Leinster in a final of this nature. But that kind of speaks to Leinster's general discipline. They weren't conceding too many penalties. They were very clinical at the breakdown. They weren't giving Nigel too many options to kind of go, look, lads, you're latching on with three or four lads and not giving Glasgow a chance to get over the ball. So that kind of goes both ways. Glasgow could have done better, but you have to hand it to Leinster's discipline in those situations, not conceding penalties within their own half that were kickable. It's a very different Leinster dynamic to what we saw last year when they won the trophy. They were playing expansive rugby, they were playing free-flowing rugby, and it does look to me like they are playing a more conservative brand this year, a more defence-focused brand. I think it's kind of like Leinster from two seasons ago where they had a lot of change over the summer, a lot of leaders left, and they're kind of going, all right, what do we have? Consolidate with defence again, and next season I think we'll see a more attacking side to them as it consolidated with the players they have. Here's hoping, because the one really bright attacking spark in this game came from Glasgow with about five or six minutes left, where they worked a really nice try, seemingly out of nowhere. They just went phase after phase up the pitch and over in the corner. A pure Glasgow try. It was incredible to watch. But sadly, they only had that one in them. I think the wasted chances in that first half really came back to haunt them at that stage. Leinster like, oh, no, hold on a second. we're not going to give you the ball for the next four minutes. Yeah, This is ours. Thank you very much. We're going to just ride this out. Just shut it down. One out rugby. Certainly not a thrilling finish. And the air commentary team were trying to kind of half apologize for it. And be like, oh, let, let, let this type of a finish take nothing away from the performance of the, you know, that type of nonsense. I was in the stadium and I was going, there's no hope Nigel Jones is going to blow a penalty here. And I was like, no. Those Glasgow fans around me looking at me, what do you mean? He was never, ever going to decide the game with five minutes to go. It just wasn't going to happen. And we've seen that from him over a couple of seasons now. And it would have been a shame for a big refereeing decision to decide this because for me, this was a spectacle. It was a good performance and it looked like the crowd were enjoying the experience. Yeah, a new record set for the Pro 14 final. 47,128 there. Really good occasion. I went there as a neutral. I'm the person the Pro 14 are targeting, uh, getting neutral fans going for a destination final. A few things did leave a sour taste in my mouth, though. Um, the fan zone only had two bars. There was a 40-minute wait for a drink. So you'd walk in and just start queuing straight away just so you might experience the fan zone with a drink in your hand. And that's even water, by the way, unless you went to a food stand. And even within the ground, people are waiting half an hour for a coffee. It just seemed they weren't ready for that many people drinking, which was a bit crazy. And I know that's something to do with it being a soccer stadium and all, but for... 47,000 people I think the experience was slightly tainted by that well I still don't think it was going to stack up with your last final visit to Scotland when uh, Connacht came away with the trophy so good that it was still enjoyable if it didn't hit those heights well I didn't have the bucket of nerves in my stomach so I actually kind of enjoyed a bit more of the um, atmosphere and the the pre-match kind of banter between everyone So that was the only game we had this weekend. Our Pro 14 season is over, but we do still have our second row top performer and clown of the round to hand out. And for our top performer, Keane Healy obviously got man of the match, but there was a number of other standout players on the pitch, all of whom could be worthy recipients of this one. 
yeah, Healy was great. And to be honest, the full Leinster pack were. But for me, the top performer had to be Van der Fleer. Like, this was his second game back from injury. And this is the level of performance he's putting in. It was absolutely phenomenal. He's not human. Like, he really isn't. <laughs> well, the big concern, obviously, for Ireland in a World Cup year is that Dan Levy, who was so important to the performances in 2018, is very very risky if not just completely out of the world cup but van der Fleer coming back in with this form menace at the breakdown carrying ball really effectively and just tackling like he's getting paid a bonus for every successful hit he's extraordinary his tackle stats are just phenomenal his work rate and engine are like no one else's but to be honest he was working in a team that were working their socks off like james ryan had another james ryan-esque game Robbie Henshaw playing like the international that we know he is. Gary Ringrose lifting his game to that international standard again. Like, to pick one player out from that Leinster team is actually just quite difficult. And that's before you get to the Glasgow players. Like, Adam Hastings looked dangerous with ball in hand. Stuart Hogg, uh, up until he went off, had a really, really effective game. And for me, one big standout player, Scott Cummings, one of the unheralded players in that Glasgow second row, his carrying game was just outstanding. He was a wrecking ball. Yeah, second rows just always put in more work than anyone else. They're just better players. Um, can I just keep going on? That's, no, that's fine. You can't. It? <laughs> I, I do think there's a certain scrum cap bias. If you're going to go around in an electric blue or a bright red scrum cap, you're definitely going to get spotted doing the dirty work. I think that's why Tyke Burns taking his off now. Yeah, maybe it is. Look, that's half the people that are playing named in the top performer list. Do you have a clown around picked for us? I do, and it would have felt unfair this weekend to give it to anybody on the pitch. So I found someone in the camera booth. During the first half, they went for that mid-half interview with the Leinster coaching team, which is almost always John Fogarty, who's the Leinster scrum coach. So in comes the audio, but then they bring up the banner saying, John Fogarty, Leinster scrum coach. Except there's one minor problem, Porik. The camera is pointing at Dave Rennie. <laughs> so I'm not sure who was on camera duty or who the producer was, but not knowing the Glasgow head coach from the Leinster scrum coach at the point in time, the only point in the entire game that you're going to hear from him is a bit of a boo-boo. That's, that's, that's very much a bit of a boo-boo. And um, I can see how sometimes in live TV those things can happen. Please tell me they did switch to John Fogarty very quickly. At or... no point. They got Dave Rennie back off the picture very quickly when somebody went... Is that, oh God, oh God. But uh, no, they never managed to find the man they were talking to and get a camera on him. Oh no, that's 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 just not nice. And I'm telling you right now, I work in TV. People are getting the hairdryer treatment over that. I would hope so. But that, I felt, was sufficiently clown-worthy in a day that didn't have a lot of clownish behaviour on the pitch. Definitely, I think that's completely fair. So that's the second row top performer, Josh Van Der and the second row clown around, fake John Fogarty. <laughs> And look, if you agree with us or disagree with us, get in touch with us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. So that was the last game of the season. And let's take a look back at the season as a whole and where each team are and have they lived up to our big expectations. So we previewed each of the teams before the season kicked off. I thought it might be fun to look at what we said then and figure out whether we were right, wrong or completely off the mark. First up is Connacht, and our expectations for them were Pro 14 playoffs and a Challenge Cup semi-final, which is pretty close to what they got. How do you think Connacht would feel about their season? If you'd offer me when we were doing the expectations, 
getting into the playoff and a Challenge Cup quarterfinal, losing out to Sale. I kind of would have taken it, but looking at the season as a whole and how well we played at times, and even with a first season coach with Andy Friend, I won't say they're disappointed, but I say they'd feel they had more to give and could have done a lot better at times. Like there's a few performances away from home that really did let them down. Mm. Our ones to watch for it were Jack Carty and Ulton Delan. Uh, Jack Carty, who I picked, has had just an incredible season. Virgin Media Fans Player of the Year, getting his Ireland debut. Uh, I, I think he's really someone who's kicked on this year. He really has, and he's put his hand up for Japan. Like, a really good season. I chose Ulton Delan as my one to watch. I feel he did start to find his form again. And once again, he looks like someone who's put himself in that conversation for definitely the extended training squad for Japan. Bit of a disrupted season for him, but yeah, looked quality when he was playing. We'll move on to Munster, and our expectation was trophies. Well, at least finals. And, well, another season of semi-finals. Yeah, I, I think Munster will be very disappointed with the outcomes this season. Yes, there was progress. Yes, there are times when we were playing some nice rugby, but... At the end of the day, this is a team that believes it has the quality to be competing in and winning finals, and that didn't happen. So for me, Munster simply fell short of those expectations this year. They might not have made our expectations, but we did have two players to look out for. I picked Tyke Byrne, coming from Scarlets, needing a big season to prove that he should be in an Ireland jersey more often than not. I think he had a very good season. I don't think he had a good enough season to challenge the incumbents of the Irish jerseys. No, I think he's someone who's definitely on the plane to Japan. And he's someone who's a future holder of that shirt. And he made a huge difference in Munster. Definitely gave us a lot of variety in our game. Similar to the player who was my one to watch, which is Joey Carberry, who, when he played, looked the real deal. A little bit more maturity needed in terms of playing behind a pack that isn't always dominant. And I think we'll see that in the coming seasons with both him and Ty Byrne extending their deals in Munster already. That's smart work by Munster, keeping them locked down. I think Munster struggled when Joey Carberry wasn't playing, and that just showed the impact he had. Our next team was Ulster. You may notice we're doing the Irish teams first. This is not, well, it is biased, but that's because we were biased when we did the previews, and it's too complicated to move the notes around. Um, (laughs) Ulster's expectations. I think we said they need to get to the playoffs, maybe make the semis, and just avoid disgracing themselves at a European level. And for me, they probably exceeded our expectations this year they really did because our other expectation for them was the focus needs to be on the pitch and you know what their rugby was really good Dan McFarland has brought this feel good factor into Ulster and they have definitely definitely improved from previous seasons in terms of selection choices a bit more reliability in the 15 there on the pitch overall a very good season for them And a season where they got to blood a lot of young academy talent, which is going to stand to them in the next couple of years, and still reach a Pro 14 semi-final and a Heineken Cup quarter-final. Very successful year. And we had two players actually quite key to that success. I had picked Marty Moore as my one to watch, who seemed to look like the player we thought he was before he went to England. He had a very good season, even though he was possibly slightly eclipsed by Eric O'Sullivan on the loose head side. But... With Rory Best retiring, Marty Moore's leadership qualities are going to be huge next year for them. And speaking of leaders, you picked John Cooney. He is so vital to Ulster. Absolutely. And with a new man at 10, that was a real risk as to whether Cooney was going to be able to continue leading from halfback. He absolutely has. He's just had another great year for them. And although he still hasn't made that breakthrough into the Irish setup yet, he's certainly knocking on the door. Definitely. I think we'll move on to Dish's Pro 14 champions, Leinster. We had some 
fairly lofty expectations for them. A double-double, a drive for five and pro 14, incinerate all opponents, curing cancer, you know, lofty, lofty, lofty um, expectations. It's, it's a tough position to be in where any outcome for a season other than lifting every trophy you're in the running for is a, a disappointment or a letdown. I think from a Pro 14 perspective, obviously they've retained their title, check. From a European perspective, they've finaled against Saracens, who just look fairly unstoppable at the moment. I don't know that it's disappointing, but it isn't as high as they could have got. I think losing to one of the best teams in Europe in a final isn't something to be disappointed about. I think they'll be disappointed with their performance in that game and at certain times in the season. But like we said, this is a team they're looking for perfection. And they'll continue to do that next year. You can see there's a huge raft of players who've re-signed. There's obviously still good mood within the squad. And you know what? Two of the players that we called out are core to that. I picked James Lowe as my one to watch and he has just been electric. Probably the highlight was that European semi-final against Toulouse where he was just incredible. He just loves rugby. Like... I know we love rugby, but he, he takes that to a whole new level. He <laughs> just, whole just level. loves rugby. Um, I, I enjoy watching him on the field. For Leinster, sadly, he's been the victim of the three-call-pack player rule. And when they just need Jameson gives a pack on the bench. So we haven't seen as much from him as we both would have liked this season. Which obviously will change next year with Jameson Gibson Parker becoming Irish qualified and not taking one of those slots from, I think, September. And you picked another young Leinster forward. Max Deegan is your one to watch. Yeah, and I picked a more to see could he break out and to be honest he's been on the bench in the 20 jersey for the pro 14 final and the last couple of weeks he has had a great season he's improved week on week and he's going to start imposing himself now as a first choice especially during the world cup he's definitely kicked on in a big way and you're right he'll be a player who will be a huge leader within leinster when the internationals are away and sean o'brien going to london irish next season gives him some room to grow as well and we'll move on to reviewing the rest of the league, starting with Conference A and Glasgow. Yeah, so expectations for Glasgow were get to the final and put on a good show in Europe, given the previous years where they ran away with the Pro 14, but really had issues playing in European competition. A good outcome in that case, tick boxes on both counts. I think by our standards, they have definitely reached their expectations. But looking at them and looking how disappointed they were yesterday... I feel they think they could have made another step and beaten Leinster yesterday, and they kind of could have. Yeah, I think getting to that final and being in a position to contest it is, you know, to a degree, the minimum they could have done. And definitely having won it would have been a bonus for me, but definitely was within their reach. And speaking of within their reach, you made a really good pick this time, picking Matt Fagerson as your player to watch. You know, I am omnipotent. I know. I just know things at times. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's nearly eclipsed his brother Xander in that Glasgow team this year. Yeah, he's had a really good season, been impactful. He's a leader now on the pitch, whereas you picked George Horn. Yeah, another one of the Glasgow brothers who didn't really get his breakout this year the way that I had hoped he might. Ali Price just has been on electric form and has been keeping George Horn on the bench for a lot of the year. But I still think that when Horn comes on, he is so dangerous and that nearly psychic link he has with his brother is uh, is turning up a lot of tries. Sadly, it's that 21 jersey syndrome. Like, he's just a much better sub than starter. Well, we'll see how it goes because Ali Price can't be there forever. 
through. We'll move on to the Cheetahs, who we had fairly lofty expectations for them. Yeah, we kind of hoped they'd kick on from last year, but you know, it just wasn't to be, Porik. Yeah, we thought they'd be in the hunt for the Pro 14 this year, and I think the loss of players over the summer just really did kill them. Not only that, but losing my one to watch Upa Mahoje in the first week with a serious, serious leg injury, and he then missed the whole season. He was their club captain. That's a killer. And while there were some other players who came up, they just never seemed to be able to hit that late season run of form that got them into playoff contention last year. No, and we both thought this it's just going to come this week. It's just going to come this week. And it just never did. Whereas I picked Ox Nietzsche and like he won top performer for us one week. He had a great season. He's such a good scrummager and ball carrier. Like if they lose him over the summer, I would definitely be worried. For sure. Hopefully they can hang on to their player base and have a slightly more consistent run into this year. You really want to see them kicking on because they've been very poor this season. And speaking of poor this season, Cardiff, we had high enough expectations for them. They are a good team. Well, they can be a good team. Yeah, and we forget sometimes that this is a team that lost their club captain, Sam Warburton, and then Ellis Jenkins to injury. So they've had a bit of a dart of open sides, although Ollie Robinson has been very impressive. But they just didn't seem to be able to put a string of results together and really suffer from a really slow start to the season where they just seem to be unable to close out games. Those points really crippled them. And they never really recovered from that. For me, though, a big thing was when Nick Williams, who I chose my one to watch, wasn't playing, they were a much poorer team. He gives them so much go-forward momentum. And somehow he defies gravity when he goes over the ball because he's well worth a couple of turnovers each game. This will go down for Cardiff as a disappointing season and they will struggle next year. Losing Gareth Anscombe to the Ospreys is another hammer blow to their ambitions. Well, speaking of Ospreys and well tens, our one to watch was both Sam Davies. Yeah, and what a terrible, terrible season he had. I, I vaguely recall one of us saying that we were going to watch to see whether he imploded or not, and boy, were we not surprised. Luke Price has nearly ousted him for the first choice 10 jersey, and they've signed a top-class replacement for next year. Just, this is a guy who was nailed on for the Wales 10 jersey at some stage. What happened? He's not playing against Connacht every week, I think, is the main one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Even as a season, though, the Ospreys had a good second half, but a terrible first half. They were making up the bottom third of the league for a long time. That end-of-year run really saved their season, and then to beat Scarlets to get into the Champions Cup next year, just papers over a few cracks. Next year, they will be better. They have a good few new signings coming in. It looks like it's a much better team. A lot of sales, because don't forget, they lost Bigger and Webb over the previous season. Any team would struggle. I think even if their European run in the Challenge Cup wasn't quite as successful as they might have hoped this year, certainly based on previous years where they maxed out the points total at pool stage, they will be happy enough that they've set themselves up for success next season. And I think a lot of people will write this season off as a success, particularly given that they don't have to write the club off as a failure. True. The one thing they do need to do, though, is get Alwyn Jones signed up. The player still doesn't have a contract for next year. That is insane. And speaking of active in the transfer market clubs, Zebre, who I think I saw signed Ian Nagel for next season this week. Our expectations for them were all about continuing to improve, getting more players into the Italian setup and <laughs> finishing ahead of Benetton. Yeah, that was not going to happen this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it did not. But you know what? I think the first two, you would argue that they didn't continue to improve either and they didn't get a whole lot of more players into the Italian setup. Um this is as catastrophic a season for Zebra as they probably could have had. Yeah, and I think we kind of need to look at our ones to watch for the kind of bright lights for them. Like, 
I picked Johan Mayer. He did get his first cap for Italy in the Six Nations. So that is something, and that's something I said he did need to do. And you had Matteo Minazzi. Who basically didn't feature all season because of injury, which had a huge impact on them because he was as important to them as Parise is to that Italian national side. He's a, the beating heart of that club in a lot of ways. Yeah, he really was. And it didn't help Zebra's cause that Canada just had a nightmare season. Literally everything that he touched was a disaster. And if he goes and finds some form next year, Zebra are going to continue to find themselves rooted to the bottom of the Pro 14. Yeah, and we'll move on to Conference B. And we'll start with Scarlets. We had lofty expectations of Scarlets and boy, did they fall short. Yeah, in their last season under Wayne Pivak, we thought they'd be gunning for silverware. And the only silverware they got near was at the end of season dinner. This was a terrible terrible year for Scarlets who never really recovered from the loss of John Barkley and Tyke Byrne a couple of players they brought in the likes of Kasim and Blomchies never stepped up they weren't at that level Blade Thompson spent a lot of the season injured and he was supposed to be the cover for some of that back row missing they really really had a bad one they had an injury crisis of biblical proportions when Ken Owens has to play in the back row you know things are bad there are small caveats but at the same time, their performance weren't good enough. Our ones to watch were Hadley Parks for me and Clayton Blomchies for you, both of whom had poor seasons, certainly compared to how Parks played last year and how Blomchies played for the Cheetahs. Yeah, they just never seemed to get going this year. And that could be Pivak announced he was leaving far too early and the players really had no one to play for. And that's disappointing because there's still a lot of talent in this side. But having failed to get Champions Cup rugby next year, they will struggle for recruitment as well. And... I don't see next year being a vast improvement for the Scarlets. Especially in a first season under a new coach. They're always kind of rocky years for rugby teams. Conversely, in Edinburgh, the I suppose not really a new coach anymore, but the Richard Cockrell toughened Edinburgh team. We spoke about Edinburgh wanting to try and repeat the performance of last season, which would see them finish third. They kind of fell apart at the end of the season after a crushing European quarterfinal defeat by Munster. They very much did a Glasgow of last season. Um, I was actually, I was really disappointed for them. I thought they'd at least make that European playoff spot when their season started to fall apart, but they just couldn't get anything going. I think players seemed to look a bit tired and fatigued. Even when John Barkley got to start playing again, he did look good, but I think it was just a bit too little too late. He did spend most of his season injured. Yeah, he was your one to watch. And my pick, Magnus Bradbury, was injured for chunks of the season as well. They were just a little bit disrupted. And I think potentially it was the case that with that many injuries and that many minutes stacking up across all of their players, including their international commitments, maybe they just ran out of steam towards the back half of the season. And I think that's something that Cockrell and the team can build on next year and hopefully improve because that Edinburgh team that we saw this year definitely didn't look out of place in the Champions Cup and I'd like to see them back in it sooner rather than later. And speaking of a team who we'll see in the Champions Cup next year, Benetton, who finished fifth in their conference last season and finished third this year, jumping two spaces, qualifying for the Champions Cup on merit for the first time ever for an Italian team and putting on a really good performance in the playoffs. And you mean getting robbed in the playoffs? <laughs> I wasn't going to phrase it exactly like that, but sure. <laughs> I can, because you're a Munster fan, you won't. I get that. You know. Yeah, that's fair. Like, we, we, talk, we talked about the playoffs being a stretch target for them, and they were in third place or second for a lot of the season. 
Like, this wasn't a robbery from them to get into that position, even if the quarterfinal was. <laughs> yeah, no, this was a great season for Benetton. That position was secured during the Six Nations, when effectively from January to the end of March, they had all their internationals away. That was a squad full of non-internationals getting, getting them results and making sure not to let the other boys down. It was fantastic. With your one to watch at the heart of that, Ian McKinley holding that 10 position for a lot of the time when Tommaso Allen was away on Italian duty. He might be disappointed, though, that he didn't kick on and challenge Tommy Allen for the number 10 cert at Benetton. He was core, but I don't think his performance levels were ever reaching Tommaso Allen's. I think that's what's let him down. It was vital to getting Benetton to where they were, but he just is missing that something special to let him kick on. Whereas you've picked Sebastian Negri, who is a great player. And he's really found that something special, nearly a like-for-like replacement in terms of that kind of physical, dogged mentality to that Italian back row. He just went straight into that national team, and that's his jersey for me. He's a great player, had a brilliant season, and I think will continue to develop. And from continuing to develop to continuing to disappoint, we are left with the Dragons and the Southern Kings. With the Dragons first, I guess we just said they finished second last in the conference last year. They finished second last in the conference this year. We said they have to improve on last season or Jackman is for the door. And he was. This was as bad a year as Dragons have had. I think they've put the right blocks in place to improve next season. But they're losing some of their better players over the summer. It's hard to be positive about them in any way, shape or form. Like Jackman didn't even make the end of the season. For me, this is really disappointing stuff. I don't know where the Dragons go from here. And... It's one that we'll watch in the lead into next season. Dean Ryan has come in there to coach and he has a reputation for turning struggling clubs around, which is very much what they need. But I'm not sure that Mrs. Doubtfire could turn this into a functional rugby team. <laughs> well, look, you had Ross Moriarty as your one to watch and he was the abrasive Ross Moriarty everyone knows and loves. I think he, he struggled from not being able to win games on his own. He was getting so little support from the rest of that Dragons pack. Yeah, well, given the fact that I couldn't pick anyone to watch from this Dragons team because I was so disillusioned and annoyed at them from the previous season, at least you had the guts to actually call someone out as that this is the guy to watch out for. Well, I'll take that. (laughs) And going from bad to literally worse, the Southern Kings, bottom last year, bottom this year. Having said that, they probably showed more improvement for me than the Dragons did. Look, they seem to actually perform when at home. Beating Glasgow was a huge highlight of the season. Um, Honestly, I think they're a long-term project. We're going to have lots of disappointed years with the Kings. Mm. But if they can finally get their act together off the field, where I think a lot of their issues lie, they won't be a force to be reckoned with, but they'll definitely be a much improved team and not something we kind of want to avoid talking about. For me, they are a good defence coach and a good preseason away from being a serious challenge for teams, particularly at home. They've shown that when they get that balance of physicality and destructiveness right, and they stay on the right side of discipline, they really are a hard team to break down. And you look at the players that we've picked. I mean, Pretorius, who was a lock for them, unbelievably physical. Had a really strong year in terms of putting his shoulder to the wheel and delivering big hits. Banda, who was my one to watch, was much improved when they put him at 15 rather than the start of the year where they were playing him at 10 because they just didn't have another alternative. Kings are a decent 10 away from actually having something a lot more threatening going forward as well because they have a lot of pacey backs. Banda 
just give him the ball in space and sit back and enjoy the show, to be perfectly honest. He's a wonderful player to watch. And I was so happy to see Pretorius leading as well as he did in the pack. Because, like you said, if the forwards can actually, you know, stay legal, they're a hard team to face. Well, I'm, I'd rather they be a hard team to face than a hard team to watch. Very true. And that's it, 1-14. to 14. Some clubs that'll be really proud of what they achieved this season and uh, some with some homework for the summer. But certainly we are finished here and that's us for this season. It was a really good year of rugby. Like, I've actually enjoyed watching every game. The Pro 14 is an incredible league and there were some really good performances. You just see the amount of players that we see week in, week out, internationals, academy. It just makes for a great, great league. Hey, roll on next year. We've got a World Cup. We've got the Pro 14, European rugby. It only gets better from here. That's it. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. And we're definitely going forwards. <laughs> or twirling, twirling towards freedom. <laughs> so thanks everyone for listening. This is us for this season. It has been incredible. So until next year, goodbye. And thanks again for listening. Take care, everyone. Happy summer. Whoop, whoop, quiz. Whoop, whoop.